Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new episode of Stories from Space Podcast, where your host, Matthew Williams, examines the history of human spaceflight, the breakthroughs that revolutionized our understanding of the universe and our place in it, and the brave individuals who work tirelessly to advance the frontiers of our understanding. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. The authors acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the traditional unceded lands of the Lekwungen peoples. Welcome back to Stories from Space. I'm your host, Matt Williams. And today, I'd like to pick up where we left off last time when we were discussing the Fermi Paradox, which, in a nutshell, states that if life is ubiquitous in the universe, if it is, presumably so statistically likely, why hasn't humanity found any evidence of advanced intelligence out there? Where is everybody? So, as we discussed in previous episodes, this paradox was essentially established by Michael Hart and Frank Tipler, the astrophysicists who argued that Given the age of the universe, given the fact that Earth and our solar system has only been here for the last 4.5 billion years of it, that there should be many advanced civilizations out there in the universe right now who would have expanded to fill their respective galaxies, including our own, and left a mark. Unmistakable signs of their passage, of their building, of their engineering, of their intelligence. Everything from communications to signs of advanced propulsion and megastructures should be out there, or so goes the argument. Now, if we accept that framework, then the question remains, why aren't we seeing any evidence of activity out there? And to that, there have been many, many proposed resolutions over the years. So today, I want to get into another proposed resolution, which is known as the planetarium hypothesis which is related to and sometimes mistaken for a simulation hypothesis. They're similar in theme, but ultimately they are rather different in content and in intent. So to briefly revisit some of the things that we talked about in previous episodes, the various resolutions for the Fermi Paradox can be grouped into certain subheadings. And whereas the Hart-Tipler conjecture, argued by Michael Hart and Frank Tipler initially, argues that there's nobody out there, hence why we're not seeing any evidence of activity. Other proposed resolutions fall under the headings of it could be that everyone has been wiped out, like the Berserker Hypothesis. It's possible they evolved beyond anything that we would recognize, or the Transcension Hypothesis. And then you have what Carl Sagan himself argued in his response to the Hart-Tepler conjecture, which was that We simply haven't seen any evidence yet, so no conclusions can be made either way, which opens up the possibility that we're not looking hard enough, far enough, wide enough, or long enough, or we're not looking for the right techno-signatures. Well, today, with the planetarium hypothesis, we're going to visit a whole other type of argument, which essentially states that we're not seeing evidence of advanced intelligence because they are going out of their way to not be seen. So to give you a brief synopsis of the origins of this theory and what exactly it entails, it was first introduced in 2001 by the famed science fiction author and mathematician and engineer Stephen Baxter. 
Baxter has written countless hard science fiction stories and short stories and novellas. He's collaborated with other famous authors like Terry Pratchett and Arthur C. Clarke. And so, much like the Berserker hypothesis, this proposed resolution to the Fermi Paradox was inspired by an essay written by a science fiction author, which, as I said, was released in 2001 and was titled The Planetarium Hypothesis, A Resolution of the Fermi Paradox. And as Baxter argued in this paper, he said that the reason we perceive the great silence when we look out into space is because what we're looking at is actually an illusion. Or as he put it in the paper, a possible resolution to the Fermi paradox is that we are living in an artificial universe, perhaps a form of virtual reality planetarium, designed to give us the illusion that the universe is empty. And, true to form, much like Dyson, he proposed ways in which this theory could be tested. Or as he put it, Quantum physical and thermodynamic considerations inform estimates of the energy required to generate such simulations of varying sizes and quality. Now, if you're thinking this sounds similar to the simulation hypothesis, which is perhaps better known, then you'd be absolutely right, because that hypothesis was proposed in 2003 by Nicholas Bostrom of the Oxford University's Future of Humanity Institute, and the paper they published, Are You Living in a Computer Simulation? It addressed a similar idea, saying that the observable universe may actually be a massive virtual environment. And this theory in particular has gained a lot of traction, in large part because of Elon Musk, and others who have publicly endorsed it or brought it into the mainstream. Musk himself had said that there's a billion to one chance we're living in base reality. His assessment of the statistics is questionable and unclear where he got that from, but nevertheless. Of the two, between the planetarium hypothesis and the simulation hypothesis put forth by Bostrom, simulation hypothesis is arguably the better known of the two. However, simulation hypothesis has to do with a possible construct by later generations of humans, it doesn't seek to address the Fermi paradox because it doesn't presuppose that the construct is the work of an advanced civilization other than humanity. It specifically addresses post-humans creating a simulation that recreated their past evolution or variants thereof, whereas the planetarium hypothesis is specifically concerned with an advanced alien intelligence that is attempting to keep humanity in the dark. Now, an obvious question is, what would be the motivation of an advanced civilization for keeping itself secret, keeping its existence hidden from human beings, especially if they're willing to go these lengths? And in this respect, the theory bears a strong resemblance to another hypothesis known as the zoo hypothesis that states that Yes, for the same reasons we're not seeing extraterrestrial intelligence out there, they're keeping their distance, they're respecting a certain perimeter in which we inhabit, or perhaps a perimeter established by we need to be at least this far away so they don't notice us. So in both cases, you have either a benevolent purpose, which is something along the lines of Star Trek's Prime Directive, we don't want to interfere, they can't know about us until they're ready, 
Any first contact scenarios would have tremendous implications for a civilization that is at this level of development. Could be that the motivations are similar to the Berserker hypothesis that advanced intelligence has concluded that intelligent life is inherently dangerous and erratic and unpredictable and a threat to itself and others. So this is the more humane approach. Intelligent life is kept within a planetarium to maintain and slow its development or keep it from finding other intelligent life forms and invariably going to war with them. Or it's entirely possible that there are malevolent intentions, that we are being contained and controlled and possibly even studied and observed. It could be that the reason we're being observed is because we are part of some extremely advanced intelligence's science experiment. They're attempting to see how life can evolve under different conditions and different environments and as part of the experiment, they obviously want to keep us ignorant of the fact that we're in an experiment. It's even entirely possible we're part of some gigantic reality-based entertainment program, which aliens have set up because they get bored easily. And of course, they want to keep us ignorant of our true environment, of our true surroundings, of the fact that we're being watched by them for their entertainment because... Knowing we have an audience would completely ruin any of the spontaneity and it would basically devolve into actual reality TV, which is anything but realistic. But I digress. There's any number of scenarios, basically. The, the proposal itself is just absolutely fascinating and intriguing from a science fiction point of view, terrifying if true. So... Exactly like the Berserker Hypothesis, it's an idea that emerged from science fiction writers and which is science fiction gold, but also really frightening. Now, the next question is, how realistic is this hypothesis? It's obviously very speculative, but is it testable? Is it provable? What are the odds that we are in a simulation and that we could actually prove it one way or the other? And there have been a number of studies since Baxter released his proposal paper that have shown that using our own research and failures with quantum Monte Carlo simulations, or QMC, or Lattice Quantum Chromodynamics, QCD, that statistically speaking, a simulated environment will inevitably be finite and vulnerable to discovery. Other arguments have emphasized Occam's razor, it is unlikely to assume that any civilization, no matter how advanced, could reproduce something as huge as our universe down to the granular level. And other studies have emphasized that, from a statistical point of view, the likelihood that humanity is living in a simulation is not good. It's nowhere near approaching the odds emphasized by Musk. In particular, Professor David Kipping of the University of Columbia and the Flatiron Institute Center for Computational Astrophysics, he wrote a paper in 2020 in which he conducted a series of statistical calculations designed to test the likelihood and the uncertainty specifically of simulation hypothesis, but this applies to the planetarium hypothesis as well. It's much like criticisms that have been made about the Matrix franchise, right? The machines have built up this elaborate simulation to keep human beings tricked and contained, and they're drawing power from their bodies, and this is how they power themselves. 
And it was an interesting idea and premise, but the energy requirements to generate such a simulation, surely they would exceed anything that they could get from the humans, or at the very least, they would barely be breaking even. So it's not a good power source. So a simulation that is light years in scale, the power requirements for that are going to be ridiculous to the point where they just become impractical. Because even if a civilization contained within the simulation were only able to physically travel for a hundred light years in any direction, they're still peering out into the vastness of space through space and time, and that would require an extremely detailed model. So we're not just talking about the matter contained within the volume, but the entire background that's being projected in the simulation, it would require a level of detail that would be, according to some theorists, just beyond the capabilities of anyone. Now to this, critics of simulation hypothesis and the planetarium hypothesis, they've clapped back with the obvious counter-argument, which is, this all just underscores how the entire hypothesis is impossible to falsify. You can't disprove that we're living in a simulation for the simple reason that it is impossible to know if the physics that we are perceiving, they could be part of the simulation. So how do we use those laws to prove that we're in a simulation if we can't rule out the possibility that the laws of physics as we know them were crafted by the creators of the simulation to ensure that we're unable to prove that we're in a simulation. And speaking personally, I like this argument quite a bit because even though it is admittedly a bit of a downer, it has an internal logic to it, at least in my opinion. Personally, I think that if I were an advanced civilization and I were designing a simulation to keep people contained, entertained, out of the way, and not a threat, that's exactly what I would do. I would design the physics models to be very, very difficult and to make sure that they kept the species confined and that any progress that they could possibly make to expand and test the limits of the simulation were very limited. And to use video games as an example, if you were programming a video game and the characters themselves were sentient programs or actual living beings, would you not want to make sure that the settings were on ultra difficult? Because these characters completing the game means discovering that they're inside of a video game. So obviously as the game designer you want to prevent that from happening for as long as possible. You would not hesitate to make sure that the game was extra difficult to beat. And using the real universe as an example, something that I've been pondering for quite a while, why is it that space is so hard? If you think about it, we have everything working against us when we try to leave planet Earth and explore the universe. There's no breaks, there's no chances for cutting corners. Breaking free of Earth's gravity alone is very difficult. It requires a tremendous amount of energy, which requires that you build large and very heavy rockets, which are mostly propellant by mass, and this extra weight and extra propellant that just contributes to this sort of vicious cycle known as the rocket equation. The more mass you have, the more propellant and energy you need to generate in order to break free of Earth's gravity, and the more of that you have, the more mass you're carrying, so there too, more power is needed. 
Second, there's the fact that space is an extremely hostile environment. It is a vacuum. It is permeated by radiation, micrometeoroids. Life itself, as we know it here on Earth, evolved under some rather strict conditions, which we don't find anywhere else in the solar system. At least, not yet. And on top of that, you have the limits imposed by relativity. Matter in our universe cannot attain or exceed the speed of light. All information travels at the speed of light. Interstellar exploration, using the laws of physics as we know them, using technology as advanced as we could possibly fathom, barring the Alcubier warp drive, the prospect of interstellar exploration by humans would be a long, arduous, difficult, and confusing affair. So the likelihood that any species could actually expand beyond its own solar system is highly questionable. If there is, in fact, no such thing, no possibility of ever attaining a faster-than-light drive, then humanity will be forever confined to a relativistic universe, and any other species therein would also be confined. So that imposes a significant limit on their growth, at least within the kind of time frames we can fathom within individual human lifetimes. And speaking personally, that's exactly the kind of physics model that I would want to use if I were creating a simulation to keep people inside. So it is a fascinating theory. There are a lot of very interesting and insightful arguments to be made for and against it. But the bottom line is, it's just not provable. The only way it could be proven is by testing the limits of physics as we know them, looking for indications of bugs or faults in the background. But then again, how could we possibly know if the results we're getting are in fact accurate, if in fact the laws of physics are tailor-made by the simulators? So, much like the Berserker Hypothesis, much like many proposed resolutions, this idea is very, very good as science fiction and very good as speculative and theoretical work. But unfortunately, it doesn't offer a resolution, per se, because it itself cannot be resolved. So, as with other Fermi-related theories, as with the search for extraterrestrial intelligence itself, all we can really do is wait, gather evidence, and somewhere along the line, somewhere down the road, we may accidentally stumble onto the truth, or we may never know either way. We may never find what we're looking for. But such is the nature of life. The biggest questions are the ones that may very well be unanswerable. But that doesn't mean we should stop thinking about them or asking them. And that, in a nutshell, is the planetarium hypothesis, which, as I said, also touches on the zoo hypothesis and simulation theory, and is one of many very, very fascinating ideas and proposals that states that if we're not seeing evidence of extraterrestrial life out there, it's not because it's absent, it's because it is deliberately avoiding us. And it also tends to overlap with theories that say, well, we're not looking in the right ways. We're not really considering what we should be looking for. Perhaps we should be looking for extraterrestrial observers that are just beyond the veil of what we can see, how we tend to see. It's entirely possible that beyond the veil of an event horizon, black holes, there are eyes looking back, looking into our universe that if we were to look into these, we'd see the seeds of other new universes evolving or incredibly old ones. 
we might even come to realize that these singularities are in fact a makeshift lens that allows one species to peer into another's universe. And if some truly interesting theories that have been ventured over time, and Professor Loeb recently offered his own take on this very idea, it is possible that every universe as it exists was created by a progenitor universe, in which sentient beings evolved to the point that they became so advanced that they were able to recreate existence as they knew it, but in a new place, in a new form, with either the same or different physical laws. So it's possible whoever created the universe as we know it did so not as a simulation, but rather as a means of cosmic procreation. Like I said, fascinating theories, fascinating stuff. Unfortunately, not something we can prove anytime soon. So, next time, we'll be looking at other hypotheses, which include things like the percolation hypothesis, which states that, yes, knowing that space is hard, how can we assume that civilizations would ever expand to the point where they would be noticeable even billions of light years away? As well as other theories that indicate that perhaps life has a much harder time than we would imagine going out into space, that in fact that we're all up against the clock and that the great filter, as we covered in a previous episode, that it is us, that intelligent life gets in its own way. And of course, further exploration of theories that posit that we're not looking in the right places or with the right tools. All that and more. In the meantime, thank you for listening. I'm Matt Williams, and this has been Stories from Space. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Stories from Space podcast with Matthew Williams. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.